The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Welcome to our second service as we are continuing our series entitled Be the Church. Uh, real quick question, how many of you have ever traveled to a foreign country before and when you got there you very quickly realized that you were a foreigner? Like the way you looked, the way you acted, things that are normal to you, just all, it was very clear and very upfront that Man, this is not what I am used to. How many of you have ever experienced that before? I've talked to a lot of people that have moved to Fresno, and they said when they moved to Fresno, they felt like they were moving to a foreign country. I mean, Fresno is its own uh, unique place. Uh, I have a friend who was talking with somebody who grew up in a different country, and they were talking back and forth about how uh, different countries have different smells. And oftentimes, uh, people in a country smell like the food they eat. And so they were talking about the differences and the different countries and the different smells. And, and my friend who grew up in America just asked kind of innocently and curiously, well, what do Americans smell like? And this person from another country very quickly said, grease and fast food. Uh, the truth is, when you go to a foreign culture, you become very aware of the differences in the way you live. Even things that you take for granted and things that you think are just so normal and so routine, you go to a different place and all of a sudden it seems strange and it seems uh, very out of the ordinary. Well, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 29. We're going to read verses 4 through 7. And in these few verses, we see Jeremiah, he's writing to a group of God's people who are living in a foreign land. They're in a place that's different. They're in a place that's foreign, and he's writing to them, instructing them how they're to live as foreigners. If you are physically able, let me invite you to stand with us as we read God's Word together this morning. Had a great crowd in the first service, a great crowd here for our serve day. In just a few moments, all of our connection groups are going to be going out throughout the city, serving our city in different ways. And if you're visiting with us this morning, thanks so much for coming. On your way in, you should have received a brown and white welcome guide. On the back page, there's a connection card that you can fill out. If you hadn't had a chance yet, be sure to drop that off at the welcome tent. And the usher should have also handed you a service program on your way in. Inside, there's an outline that you can use to follow along as we study this morning as we're currently going through a series called Be the Church. What does it look like to live out our faith in our daily lives? And this morning, we're going to look at being the church in our city, being the church in Fresno. Let's read uh, Genesis 29, verses number 4 through 7. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Verse 5, Build ye houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and begat sons and daughters, and Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands. I don't like that part. I have two daughters, and I'm just like, I will give you away to a husband when you're 45. Uh, how about that? Uh, that? And give your daughters to husbands, that ye may bear sons and daughters, and get this, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For it is in the peace thereof that ye shall have peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Uh, for being our everything. Thank you for being our delight. And I pray as we make you our delight and your delight becomes more and more real to us, we would experience that soul level satisfaction that can be only found in you. And Lord, I pray that as we look into your word this morning, your spirit would speak to us and work through us for how we can better be the church that you have called us to be in the city of Fresno. We love you and ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. One of our texts this morning, the prophet Jeremiah, he was a, a younger man when God called him to be a prophet. He's writing on behalf of God to the Jewish people 
who are in exile in a foreign city of Babylon. Uh, The year this is taking place is the year 605 B.C. To kind of give you a picture of when in world history this takes place, Jehoiakim, he's the current king of Judah. If you're reading uh, throughout the Bible with us and you're uh, in the history books of the Old Testament, you'll be familiar with Jehoiakim. He was one of the kings in Judah, and there were many Jewish people still living there in Jerusalem, even though the city was kind of destroyed. Uh, But many of the people have been taken captive and we're now living in the city of Babylon. Uh, one of these Jewish people that we'd be familiar with was a person named Daniel. He wrote one of the books of the Bible. We're all familiar with the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel was one of those people that were carried away that Jeremiah is writing to. In all reality, there's a good chance Jeremiah, or excuse me, Daniel probably read what Jeremiah was writing to him. The two of them were contemporaries. And the purpose behind what Jeremiah is writing here is to tell these people who are living in exile, this is, how it's, this is how it's going to look for you to live in a land that's not your own. We know Babylon's not your home. We know you're exiles. We know you're foreigners. But this is what it looks like for God's people to live in a place that is not their home. Now, when we read this, we might be tempted to think, I mean, that's great, but that doesn't really apply to us because we're not living in exile. We're not foreigners. We, we live in America. We're citizens of this country. This is, this is our country. This is, this is our home. This is where we live. We're not exiles, Pastor Nick. Uh, but what I'd like to do this morning, uh, by way of introduction, is just show us throughout Scripture how uh, we are, in fact, repeatedly throughout the New Testament called exiles. We are called foreigners. We're called pilgrims. We're called ambassadors. And these statements are just as, um, just as much a part of our new identity. There's just as much a part of our, our new nature as conqueror, like we saw last week, as God's children. Exile is just as much a part of your new identity now. Now the real you is a foreigner, even though you may say, I was physically born here. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is somebody who goes to a foreign country to represent their country of origin for the good of the country that they now live in. So as ambassadors for Christ, we're here in this city, we're here on this earth representing the kingdom of God for the good of the world. That's what an ambassador does. Uh, Philippians 3.20 tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. Before we're citizens of America, we're citizens of God's kingdom. We're citizens of heaven. So we see we're ambassadors. We're citizens of heaven. 1 Peter 1.23, or excuse me, 1.17 says, If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's works, you are to conduct yourself in reverence during your time living as strangers. Some versions will literally translate that as aliens. This world is not your home, Peter's saying. You're in exile here. And so that should impact the way you live. 1 Peter 2.11, my dear friends, Peter goes on, I earned you as strangers and exiles. So we see throughout the New Testament, God calls us strangers. God calls us exiles. Now, it's important to remember this because on the one hand, there's the temptation to think that what we see in this world is it. This is our only hope. And we wouldn't uh, write that down on paper as Christians. We know there's an afterlife. We know that heaven is to come. But sometimes we live our lives like this world is our only hope. And what happens in our country is our only hope. And man, we'll sometimes even look at government as our Messiah. And if it's not going the way we think it should, we just despair and we lose all hope. And, and we, know, we know that we're not uh, citizens of America, but uh, we're citizens of heaven before citizens of America. But sometimes we live like what happens in our country is our only hope. But then on the flip side, you have some people who take the attitude that says, yeah, this world's not my home. I don't care what happens. Let it burn, right? But that's not the attitude God wants us to have either. Throughout Scripture, he shows us what it means to live as exiles, what it means to live as a foreigner. 
And the theme we're going to see throughout our text this morning and throughout uh, the Word and the verses that we're going to look at, our theme is God calls us to be in the world for the good of the world. God has placed us here. God has called us to be in the world, to be involved in the world for the good of the world. Now, if you're like me, many of us, sometimes we, we hear statements like we're to be in the world, and our first response is, yeah, but Pastor Nick, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world, right? Like, we, yeah, we're kind of stuck here on planet Earth. Yeah, we're, we're, we're in it, but we're, we're, we're just stuck here. And so we really just need to make sure that we're not of the world, right? But what does the Bible actually say? Turn in your Bible to John 17, verses 14 through 18. We're going to look at where that phrase, in but not of, kind of comes from. In the world, but not of the world. It comes from John 17. Jesus is about to go and die on the cross, and he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying to God. And he says in his prayer in John 17, 14, I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. That's key. I am praying that you, I am not, excuse me, I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Notice how Jesus says we're not of this world. Jesus, as he's praying, he's not praying, Lord, just help them to make sure they're not too close. Lord, help them to make sure they're not of the world. He says, no, they're not of the world, just like I am. So at the moment we got saved, the moment you became a Christian, you are not of the world, just like Jesus was. Just like Jesus wasn't. Case closed, period, end of story. You are not of the world by your standing as a Christian. Now, yes, we need to make sure that we're not too influenced. I would wholeheartedly agree and say amen to that. But the idea of this passage and the emphasis is not, don't get too close or you might fall in. The emphasis is, Jesus is saying, I'm sending you into this world. I'm sending you as missionaries. I'm sending you as my children. God, just like you sent me into this world to reconcile mankind back to you, I am sending believers of Jesus into this world. They need to go and they need to make a difference and they need to work to see mankind reconciled back to God. The emphasis on this, passion, on this passage is don't get you close. The emphasis, Jesus saying, I am sending you in. Verse 18, as you sent me into this world, I also have sent them into this world. So God calls us, God sends us to be in the world for the good of the world. See, Jesus' true followers have not only been crucified to the world, but also raised to new life and sent back in to free other people. We have been rescued from darkness and given the light, given Jesus, the light of the world, not merely to flee the darkness, but to guide our steps as we go back in to rescue other people. God has sent us as rescuing agents into the world. And sometimes we get the focus all wrong on when we pursue not being of the world. Jesus says, that's done, that's settled. That's the starting point, yes, you're not of the world. But the goal is to go in the world, to show other people the love of Jesus. And when we get that wrong, we're really getting it wrong to the detriment of the world. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you into the world because you have the light of Christ, and the lost world desperately, desperately needs that. So when we properly understand our identity as exiles, when I understand my identity as a foreigner, as a stranger, as a pilgrim, some verses say, it will have a profound impact on the way I live my life. And we see because we are foreigners, because we're strangers, because we're exiles, because we have the light of the world, it's going to make a difference and it's going to have an impact on the way we live. We can live for the good of our city. So let's look at the first ramification, the first result of living as foreigners and living as exiles. Look at verse number five and six. He says, build ye houses and dwell in them. Okay, that seems pretty routine. Uh, plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. 
take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that ye may bear sons and daughters that ye may be increased there and not diminished. Now these instructions seem really routine, don't they? Okay, we need a place to live. Got it, check. We need food to eat, so I'm going to plant a garden. You know, getting married, raising a family, that's, that's pretty normal. That's pretty routine. In fact, that's so normal, we almost might think, why would God even bring that up? Why would God even say specifically to do these things? Why do we give special attention to it? Well, I think for one, God wanted his people to realize, you're going to be in captivity for a while. Make a home for yourself. Get comfortable. You're going to be in exile for a long time. And while you're there, I don't want you to diminish. I want you to flourish. Even though you're in exile, even though you're not in your home, God's saying, I want you to flourish. So live your life for the glory of God. Live your life with gospel intentionality so that you can flourish. God also gave instructions to remind his people that what was taking place around them was going to have an impact on them. And so he says, when you have the peace of the city, you're going to have peace too. So work for the peace of the city. Live your life in such a way that other people can see your life and glorify your Father. You see, they would have been faced uh, with the temptation to think, this world's not my home, I don't care. This is Babylon. This place is against everything. This place wiped out our homeland. This place took us from our homes and took us from our heritage. And I, I, I don't care what happens. I, I just want Babylon to burn. And sometimes that's the attitude we have about our communities. We just think, well, you know, it's going to hell in a handbasket, good riddance. But God's saying, no, I want you to live for the good of the city. I want you to be invested in what's taking place in your city. I want you to be invested in your neighborhood. I want you to care and have a burden and live your life so that your city can flourish for the glory of God. Even the mundane things in our lives should be done for the glory of God. I love what the New Testament says, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatsoever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Even the routine, even the mundane, even the things we don't even really think about doing, God says, I want you to leverage that for the glory of God. I want you to use that so your city can flourish. I want you to use that to point other people to Jesus. First Timothy 2, 1-4 says this, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayer, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. Get this that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, uh, Paul is telling Timothy, when you live your life for the glory of God, when you live this quiet and peaceable life full of godliness and honesty, when you live for the glory of God, that's one of the ways God uses our lives to point other people to Jesus. This is good and acceptable because this is how people come to know God. Part of how God uses us to reach others is through living our lives with gospel intentionality, even the routine things, even the mundane things like planting a garden. <laughs> I love how mundane and boring it is. You see, wherever we are, wherever you are, whatever circumstances, whatever situation your life finds yourself in, consider yourself as sent there by God for his glory because that is why you are there. It's not an accident you work where you work. It's not an accident you live in the neighborhood you live in. It's not an accident that you're even going through the health crises that you are going through. You see, it's so easy for us just to complain, man, the neighborhood's going downhill. City isn't what it used to be. Oh, man, I just remember the good old days. And sometimes we'll just complain and complain, and we get so upset by the difficult people in our lives. We get so upset at our health problems because we just have to go see that awful doctor who has horrible bedside manners. But what if we just stopped? and thought for a moment, maybe God has put me there. Maybe God put me in this bad neighborhood because that neighborhood needs the church. And he put a member of the church in there to be an influence. 
What if God put you there with those awful coworkers because he knows those coworkers need the love of Jesus and they need their lives to be transformed by the grace of God so he put you there as a member of his body to show them Jesus. What if God allowed those health difficulties into your life because he knows that grumpy doctor needs some Jesus in his life and he put you there to be Jesus to him. Maybe God allowed these things in our life because he knows you're going to intersect your life with some people who need Jesus, and I want you to use your life for God's glory to point people to him. One of the ways God wants to use us to make a difference in our city is simply by living different, by living our lives with gospel intentionality. I'll give you an illustration of how our connection group will try to do this. We meet in our home. And I'll just be honest with you, I hate Halloween. Anybody else there? Like, the decorations, they drive me nuts. I'm like, why would you pay money to decorate your house to make it look like nobody lives there and it's abandoned? That just makes no sense to me. And then, like, the bugs, it just is weird, right? When you drive down, you see this, this witch in this big old cauldron. I'm like, that's just creepy. Like, I don't, I don't like that. Uh, but whether I like Halloween or not, there's a bunch of people that are going to come by my house that night. And God has put our connection group in that neighborhood. And so we as a connection group, we've just tried to be intentional. So what we'll do is we'll all pull our cars into my little driveway. We'll pull them up in the grass. We'll pull them up in our yard. And we'll decorate our cars. And we'll have all kinds of candy. And as people are coming through, we'll give them tracks. And we'll pray with people. We'll invite them to church. One year we just took down a bunch of prayer requests. And we as a group prayed for those people. We're just trying to live our lives with some gospel intentionality. Here's a picture. We had uh, Charlie Brown playing up on the garage door. Just trying to live our lives with some gospel intentionality for the glory of God. This is going to happen whether I want it to or not, so let's redeem it. Let's leverage it for the glory of God, these average parts of our life. I know there's some groups for, uh, for Easter, they'll just have, um, they'll have uh, what do you call it, Easter egg hunts in their neighborhood parks. They're just using regular things in their life to leverage them for the glory of God. A lot of your kids play sports. Look for opportunities to leverage that, to meet some people who don't know Jesus Christ so you can live your life in front of them so that you can introduce them to Jesus. What ordinary and routine parts of your life does God want to use for his glory? We need to intentionally intersect with our lives with people who don't know Jesus. Say, how can I meet some people who don't know the Lord so that I can show them Jesus? We need to live our lives for the good of the city. But let's notice the second ramification of living as exiles, living as foreigners. Yes, one, it means we need to live for the good of the city. God has put us where he has put us for his honor and for his glory so people can come to know him. But next, we're going to see in the first part of verse number 7 of Jeremiah 29. So yes, live for the good of the city. But then secondly, look at verse number 7. And seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives. Not only does God want us to use the most routine parts of our life, but God wants us to intentionally seek, to intentionally pursue the good of our city, which leads us to our second point this morning. We need to work for the good of the city. We need to work. We need to be intentional. We need to ask God for opportunities where we can go out of the ordinary, out of the routine, out of what's just normal for us. Look for ways outside of your comfort zone to work for the good of the city. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. I preached uh, uh, in a series a few months ago how Jesus is the light. And because Jesus is in us, we are by conduits his light to our city. And the way we let our light shine is by letting other people see our good works so they can glorify God. But if we're not doing good works, they're not going to see it. So we need to work for the good of the city. First Peter 2.12, having your conversation or your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles or unbelievers. That whereas when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold, which they shall see, 
glorify God in the day of visitation. We as Christians are here on this earth in Christ's place. That is what it means to be an ambassador. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Get this, since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God is using our lives to plead with the lost world, be reconciled to me. That's what it means to be an ambassador, to go out of your way, to work, and to share Jesus so that other people can be reconciled to God. God appeals those who need his son through us as the church. We say it all the time. God reaches people who need him through people who know him. And that's what it means to be an ambassador. God is making his appeal through us to reach people and to say, be reconciled to God. This is why we must do everything we can to point people to Christ. This is why we, why we have days like Serve Day where we're going to go to the park and we're going to feed people and we're going to play some music and we're going to preach the gospel and we're going to love on people, we're going to pray with people. That's why people go uh, to the rescue mission to serve the homeless. That's why people will go to these different organizations and to serve people. They're out McDonald House where they're serving families who are going through horrible crises. Why? So that they can point people to Jesus. So that other people can see our good works and glorify our Father. Charles Spurgeon said, every man, every Christian, every believer is either a missionary or an imposter. God has called us to do these good works. And I know that's kind of like, wow, that's kind of intense. But this is what God has created us to do, 1 Peter 4.10. As every man has received the gift. Church, have we received the gift of our salvation? Have we received the gift of God's grace? Have we experienced his mercy? Peter then calls us to, even so, minister the same. Minister the same love. Minister the same grace. Minister the same love of Jesus to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God has given us this great grace, but he also calls us to steward that grace by extending it to other people, by doing good works, so that they can meet Jesus, so that God can be glorified. My friends, when we realize all that Christ has done for us, the natural outflow is that love is going to spill out to people around us. That love and that mercy and that grace is just going to overflow into our lives. And the more we're intentional about getting with the lost, the more it's going to overflow into their lives. We will be willing to work and to minister so that other people can come to know Jesus. God has not only given us great grace, but he calls us to share it and to be stewards of that. The truth is God can do more through a simple act of obedience than our most extravagant plans. Engaging in the mission of Jesus is not just asking, what would Jesus do? I know that's cute, and in the 90s, it was real big to have a bracelet with that on it. But it's more than just asking, what would Jesus do? It's asking, what does Jesus want to do through me? What work, what ministry, how does Jesus want to reach other people through my life? Ask the Holy Spirit, where are you working, and where can I join you in that work? You see, working so that others can know God naturally flows as we as believers regularly surrender ourselves to his Holy Spirit. As we just every day surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit, say, Holy Spirit, I'm yours today. Find me, find me a vessel for your use. Use me to point other people. God is going to use our lives. Uh, whenever the Holy Spirit shows up, the message of the gospel just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You read through the book of Acts, and anytime a person's filled with the Spirit, they speak the word of God. They do good works. People were healed. People were fed. Good works were done so that God can get glory and so that people can come to know Jesus. The result of being filled with the Spirit is speaking the word of God and working for the word of God for the good of other people. Authentic, faith-filled work happens as we daily yield to the Holy Spirit of Christ. God calls us to do good works in the world for the good of the world. Think about how attractive it would be to those who are still lost if they could see the love of God yearning in us for their good. 
It takes the love of Christ to constrain us. That's why Paul said, I'm constrained by the love of Christ. I have no choice, Paul says, because I'm experiencing this so much, I have no choice but to extend that love. Our light must shine by doing good works that other people can see. See, the reality is God doesn't really need our good works. God's God. He doesn't need anything, right? I mean, God said in Psalm 50, 12, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I, I, the, for the world and everything in its mind. God's like, I, I, I don't need you. God doesn't need our good works, but the truth is there's a lost world that does. There's a lost world that desperately needs to see good works that result as the love of Jesus. There's a lost world who desperately needs to see the love of Christ. There's a lost world that desperately needs to see unity in the church and a world that is so fragmented and so broken. God doesn't need us to do anything, but the lost world desperately does. And we've looked at several passages that indicate the lost world needs our good works, and this is how God has ordained people to come to know him. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.3 gives us this warning. It says, if our gospel is veiled, if it's hid, it's veiled from the people that need it. It's veiled from those that are lost. It's veiled to those who are perishing. When we isolate ourselves to the point where we never intersect with anybody that knows God, we're doing it to the detriment of the world. If I try to make sure I, I have no contact with the lost world, if I have no contact with the people that need Christ, if I do my life and I build this little bubble, I'm doing that to the detriment of the world. And according to Jeremiah, I'm doing that to the detriment of my own flourishing. God has designed our growth to happen when we regularly give ourselves to other people. So when we isolate ourselves, we're isolating Christ from the people who need him. We are hiding the gospel from the people who need it most. This is why we must be involved in our city. This is why we must seek the eternal peace of people's souls. We can't just hunker down until Jesus comes back and say, okay, I'm going to build my fort, I'm going to lock myself in, and I'm never going to see anybody that knows Jesus because it's just too scary and it's just too dark and it's just too evil. We can't just hunker down because the world needs Jesus. This is why we must work for the city. This is why we must be involved in what's taking place in our community. This is why we must work for the good of the city. The world needs Jesus, and God has called us to them. This is why we must, as Jeremiah said, increase and not diminish because the flourishing of the world depends on it. The world needs Jesus. Jesus has sent us to be in the world for the good of the world. Allow his love to constrain you to share it. Yield to his spirit to work and minister for the good of this city. Yield to his spirit to work for the good of your neighborhood. I know sometimes your neighbors will drive you nuts, right? But they need Jesus, and so yield yourself to the spirit of God to work for them. For that single mom who lives down the street who's struggling with their kids, for that old person who's down the street who has nobody to talk to, for that couple whose marriage is falling apart in your neighborhood, and you get so annoyed because you always hear the yelling and you always hear the screaming, Work for their good. Go share them the love of Jesus. Work so that they can come to know God. Yield to God's spirit to work for the good of your workplace. My, I have great coworkers, but they all have one annoying one, and his name is Nick, so they work for the good of me. <laughs> God has created us to live for the good of the city. God has created us to work for the good of the city. But then let's look at the last ramification we'll see this morning of living as exiles, living as foreigners. When I realize that God has put me in this world for the good of the world. We will lastly pray for the good of the city. Look at the last part of verse uh, 7. It says, and pray unto the Lord for it. For what? For the city. For Babylon. Pray for, unto the Lord for the city. For, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. Even though this world is not our final home, God wants us to flourish. And God says, I want you to actively pray for the good of Babylon. 
Babylon that is diametrically opposed to everything you believe in. Babylon that just wiped out your family. Babylon that just destroyed your hometown. Babylon that's killed your friends and killed your loved ones and cares nothing for God. God says, I want you to pray for them. I want you to get on your knees and seek my face on behalf of those people. Even though this world is not our final home, God desires that his people fervently pray. I read this week an article by Traven Wax, and he said in it, A disciple of Christ is a life on mission, one that I believe is marked deeply by prayer for the people God has sent them to. Our states, our cities, our neighborhoods desperately need the life-giving renewal and redemption that flows from Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Our city desperately needs Jesus, and God has called us to pray for it, to pray fervently for the good of our city. In 1857, a local Christian mission hired a young pastor named Jeremiah Lanfear uh, to share the gospel with the people living in Manhattan's Lower Side. Uh, pastor Jeremiah jumped into his assignment with zeal, uh, but quickly became discouraged and frustrated. It seemed that no one in this fast-paced city had any time for God. That's a problem in 1857. I think that's just as much a problem in 2018. He said, feeling he had nowhere else to turn, he began to pray. And as he prayed, he began to experience an unusual sense of God's presence. One day he put a sign out and invited people just to come in and pray with him. No preaching, no singing, no sermon, only prayer. First Wednesday, six people showed up. Second Wednesday, 20. The third Wednesday, 40. And then somebody said, let's do this every day. Two months later, the whole auditorium filled up every day at the noon hour with hundreds of people praying. Similar prayer meetings began to spring up all over the city. Soon, the entire downtown area, almost every theater and every church was filled with people at 12 o'clock, filled with men and women crying out for God's presence to fall in the city. Reporters estimated that over 10,000 people were praying every day in lower Manhattan for revival. Several churches began holding evangelistic services in the evenings. Now notice the order. First came the prayer meetings, then the evangelistic services, then the work. They began holding these evangelistic uh, services. In a nine-month period, 50,000 people came to Christ in Manhattan at a time in history when the population in New York City did not exceed 800,000. Church, do we long to see that happen in Fresno? Is there something in our heart that just cries out, I want to see my city turn to God? Is there something in you? Is there a fire that's burning inside your soul that just says, I want people to know Jesus. I want people to come to know him. Yes, Fresno has all kinds of problems. Yes, it has all kinds of difficulties. But my friends, God wants to do a great work in our city. And he has given us one means of seeking it. That's persistent, faith-filled prayer. What if the reason we're not seeing God move in our city what if the reason we're not seeing God work in our family and work in our churches is simply because we are not persistent in praying for it? God has called us to pray, to fervently pray and beg him for the good of our city. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. When we pray, we should seek to perceive what heaven wants, either through the word of God or through the spirit of God. And then ask for those things by faith. That's why I always encourage people, when you pray, get on your knees in front of the Bible and pray scripture so you can know what God's will is and so you can pray his words back to you. We should seek when we pray to know what the will of heaven is and then ask for those things in faith. If you're asking for something that's the will of God, I think he's gonna do it, right? 
Ask for those things in faith. The combination of God's will and our faith produces a new reality here on earth. The wave of our faith added to the wave of his revealed will results in the laser of his power in our city. Throughout the Gospels, the power of Jesus was always unleashed in response to people's faith. In fact, I think one of the saddest verses in all the Bible is he didn't do many marvelous works there because of their unbelief. Jesus' power is unleashed by our faith. Prayer connects our uh, finiteness to God's infiniteness. We are to stand in the gap. We're to intercede for people. We're to stand in the gap between God's infinite willingness and our world's infinite needs and beg God to do a work in prayer. Beg Him to do a work in our city. Matthew 9, 37 and 38. Then saith He unto the disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray! Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send laborers into the harvest. Are we praying that there'd be people in our church who would rise up and go out and share the love of Jesus? Are we praying for missionaries to be sent out? Are we praying that people will get over their apathetic selves and get a burden for Jesus and go into our city with the gospel of Jesus? Jesus is saying the reason the world is so desperately in need is because there's nobody out there. And so he says pray that people will go out. Church, are we praying? Are we praying? We looked at 1 Timothy 2 already. He says, I exhort therefore that first of all, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority. I mean, you get on Facebook for two seconds, and you see people on either side of the political aisle arguing and yelling and saying all kinds of nasty things about the other guy. I mean, there's people saying all kinds of bad things about Donald Trump. There's people saying all kinds of bad things about Jerry Brown. But what if instead of just complaining about him, we just stopped and said, I'm going to pray for them. Paul said, first of all, pray for those that are in authority. Get on your face before God and ask God that he would use them to enable us to live a life that glorifies him so that other people can know him. Church, are we praying? Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in prayer. I mean, I'm reading through Acts right now, and it's so inspiring to see all the amazing things that the New Testament church did, how they turned city after city upside down. In the face of persecution, in the face of things not going their way, in the face of difficulties, they just flipped the world on its head for Jesus. And the common theme throughout is prayer. They were serious about praying for their city. They were serious about praying that people would come to know Christ. They prayed and they prayed. They continued steadfastly. They worked at praying. Church, are we praying for our city? Scottish reformer John Knox famously said, Give me Scotland or else I die. He had such a passion for his country, such a burden. Queen Mary at the time, who was diametrically opposed, in fact, she would murder Christians and she would martyr Christians left and right. She said, I fear John Knox's prayers more than the army of 10,000 men. Church, the power of God is, is unveiled. It's worked. It happens through prayer. Are we praying? You see, the one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. The devil doesn't fear prayerless studies. He doesn't fear prayerless works or prayerless religions. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. You want to make the devil run for cover, you get on your knees and you beg God to do a work because he knows that's when the Holy Spirit's going to show up. Prayer turns ordinary mortal men into men of power, to women of power. Prayer brings fire. Prayer brings rain. Prayer brings life. Prayer brings God. And there is no power like the power of prevailing prayer. Prayer is what moves the omnipotent God to work in our world. 
God releases his power in response to prayer. And faith is revealed, it's demonstrated through prayer. God calls us to pray for the world, for the good of the world. God has called us as Christians to pray. So how do we pray? How do we pray for our city according to God's will? I'm going to give you several references, and I'm going to kind of work through them fast. So just feel free to write down the references, and if you want, I can get them to you later. But pray Ephesians 6, 19 for your city. Pray that the gospel would boldly and unashamedly be proclaimed in our local churches. Fresno has 700 churches. What if every one of those churches got bold in proclaiming the gospel and got bold about preaching Jesus and just prayed and prayed and prayed and begged God to do a work? Pray that our churches would be a place for the broken, the unwanted, and the hurting. Pray pray that Christ will be offered as the only remedy for our sin-sick world. Pray Ephesians 6.19. Pray that for our city. Pray uh, pray through Romans 8.35-39. Pray those verses would be a reality. I mean, when we read those verses, we get fired up. Nothing can stand against us. We're conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Pray those verses would be our reality. And that because those are reality, we can minister and we can work and we can pray with boldness. Pray for yourself. Pray those verses would be a reality for your family. Pray they'd be a reality for your pastors. Pray they'd be a reality for your church that our hope would be found in Christ and Christ alone. And his hope would produce gospel boldness. If Romans 8 doesn't get you fired up, man, I don't know what's going to do it. Pray that that would become your reality and your church's reality. Pray Matthew 6.10. It says, would your will be done in earth as it is in heaven? Pray that God's will would be done in Fresno as it is in heaven. Pray that God, and in heaven, God's will is done instantly, instantly. There's no questions, there's no debating, there's no, it's just God says it, it's done. Pray that God's will would be done in our city like that. Pray that God's will would happen in Fresno as it does in heaven. Let's go Old Testament. Pray Psalm 38.3, or 30.33, excuse me. Psalm 33.8. I'll get it out. (laughs) Psalm 33.8. Pray that the people of Fresno would stand in awe of God. That they would just see God high and lifted up, and they would just stand in awe of him. Pray that we'd be standing in awe of him. Pray Habakkuk 3.2, that the Lord's love, justice, and mercy would be made known in Fresno. Boy, if we don't need all three of those things. Pray that for our city. Uh, like we said earlier, pray for our leaders, 1 Timothy 2. Pray that they would lead in a way that reflects the wisdom and love of God. Get off Facebook and get on your knees, church. Pray for our leaders. Pray that they would lead in a way that would reflect and honor God. Pray that the Spirit would weed out the sin in your own life that keeps you from living on mission. Pray that God would weed out the apathy. Pray that God would weed out the indifference for your city. Just beg him, Lord, sometimes I'm just so apathetic. I confess that. I repent of that. Would you just weed that out of my life? Anything in my life that's keeping you from living the way you have designed me to live, cut it out, Lord. Oftentimes in the New Testament when uh, Paul or Peter are saying live as foreigners and exiles, he says one of the big ramifications of the New Testament is that you live a pure life. Sin will keep you from living in accordance to God's will and a life that's on mission. Confess that to God. Repent that to God and pray that he would weed that out. Pray that God would give you opportunities for you to present and be intentional with the gospel in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your life. If you pray and ask God opportunities to share Jesus, I promise he's going to answer that prayer. Jesus isn't going to be like, no, I don't really want to give you any chances to share me. No, he's going to answer that. He's going to give you opportunities to share Jesus. Pray that the Lord would increase a burden for our city. That our love and growth in the gospel would produce a desire to see other people saved. 
and grow in their love and understanding of who God is. Pray that God would just wreck our hearts with the needs of our city. Pray that God would give you such a burden that you just can't help but go do something, that you can't help but pray, that you can't help but live, that you can't help but work and minister. As exiles, God has called us to live for the good of the city, work for the good of the city, and pray for the good of our city. See, Christian exiles are not passive. We don't smirk at the misery or enjoyment of people and their sin. Our attitude as exiles isn't, well, you made your bed, now go lay in it. Uh, We should weep when we see people in their brokenness and we see people living in the results of their sin, our hearts should break. Being exiles does not mean we're being cynical. It doesn't mean we're being indifferent. It doesn't mean we're uninvolved. We should be very involved in our city. The salt of the earth does not mock rotting meat. Where it can save, it saves and it seasons. The light of the world does not withdraw saying good riddance. No, it attempts to shine and to shine and to shine. It labors to illuminate, not dominate. Being Christian exiles in America does not end our influence. We don't get, excuse me, we don't get cranky. That was awkward. (laughs) We don't get cranky that our country has been taken away. We don't whine about the triumphs of evil. We're not hardened with anger. We don't whine. We understand this is not new. This has been this way since the beginning of the church. I mean, look at Antioch. Look at Ephesus. Look at Corinth. Look at Athens. Look at Rome. The Roman Empire was not just degenerate. It was deadly. Uh, this uh, uh, Society being unfriendly towards Christians is nothing new. And those early Christians, they weren't sitting around the thought, let's just complain about it, never would have crossed their mind because the words of Jesus were still fresh in their ears that said, the world hates me, it's going to hate you for my sake. People paid for their Christ-exalting joy with blood. Many still do around the world. Many still will. So instead of getting defeated, instead of just living a life of defeat and complaining and whining, let's use our influence, not with huffing and puffing to reclaim lost laws, but rather with faith, with hearts filled with faith in the way we live, with hearts filled with faith in the way we work and the way we pray. The greatness of Christian exiles is not in success, but in service. Whether we win, quote-unquote, or lose, quote-unquote, we witness to the way of truth and beauty and life. We don't own culture. We don't rule it. We serve it with brokenhearted joy and long-suffering mercy for the good of man and the glory of Jesus. Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. This isn't about winning a cultural war. This is about showing other people Jesus. It's not about just being indifferent and not caring. It's about caring very deeply because Jesus cares and there's a lost world that's dying and on its way to hell. Church, do we believe that hell is a real place? Is that impacting our hearts? Are our hearts broken? You see, when we live and work and pray for the good of the city, God gets glory. The lost find life-giving joy for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is what God has made you for. This is your purpose. Sometimes people flounder. They're like, I don't know what my purpose is in life. Your purpose in life is to do good works to point people to Jesus. This is what God has created you to do so that he can be glorified. I want you to imagine the impact a church can make on a city. I want you to imagine 
the difference we could make in Fresno if we just said we're going to live as exiles. We're going to live as foreigners. We're not going to succumb to defeat. We're not going to succumb to cynicism. We're not just going to get uh, the attitude that says, I don't care what happens. We're not going to put our ultimate hope in our government. We're going to put our ultimate hope in Jesus, and we're going to go share that hope, and we're going to share his life with everybody in our lives. We're going to fervently pray that God does a great work in our city. Imagine the impact we can make. Imagine the difference the church can make. The New Testament church turned the world upside down. They flipped it on its head when everything was stacked against them. They were the underdog by every scenario imaginable, yet they flipped the world upside down because they lived for the glory of God. They worked for the glory of God, and they prayed for the glory of God. So here's our takeaway. Live so others can glorify God. Dedicate your life to pointing people to Jesus. Plead with God to unleash his power through you so that other people can glorify God with their lives in your workplace. Say I'm not in ministry. Technically, we're all in ministry. Pray that God would unleash his power through you in your workplace, whatever you're doing. Pray that God's power would work through you so that other people can glorify God with their, with their lives. Live so others can glorify God. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.